Father God, we've lifted our hearts to you in worship and thank you for entering this house this morning to meet with this people. I pray, Lord, now that you would minister to us, that you would lift us up to where your heart is. I pray that you would give us a clarified vision of our life ahead. I pray, uh, Father, that uh, by your Spirit you would empower us for the upcoming week of ministry in our lives. We pray, Lord, that indeed we would become salty people this week, that we would make a difference, that we would achieve the purpose of our lives during the midst of our lives. Uh, We pray, Lord, for a holy sense of time passing, of opportunities coming. Uh, I pray, Lord, uh, this morning for for those individuals here who have a special appointment with you, uh, to hear your voice, to feel your beckoning forward, to make a change in their existence, to try trusting Jesus. Uh, We intend ourselves, Lord, to trust the guidance of your Spirit this morning. In Jesus' name, everybody says. All right, pop quiz, pop quiz, here we go. Roll your shoulders, shake your head, get the juices flowing, massage your temples. It's too late to grab coffee. You're here. Pop quiz. The question is, what do you do when you feel stuck or confused in life? What do you do if you feel stuck or confused in life? I will give you eight seconds to ponder. Boom. There you go. What do you do if you feel stuck or confused in in life? Turn to the person next to you and say, well, I try this. I do that. This is what you should do. I will give you eight seconds to exchange answers. All right. All right. That's enough. That's enough. How many of you were weirded out by that sort of vulnerability with strangers? Excellent. I am doing my job. Well, let's hear some answers. Who heard some good ones? What do you do when you feel stuck or confused in life? Yes. She'll be patient and then trust, trust the Father to give counsel and wisdom. Patience? I hear that's good. I hear that's good. Patience. Good answer. What else? Pray continually. That sounds scriptural. Nice. Patience, prayer, uh, all good answers. There are no stupid answers. There are no stupid answers. Just, just stupid people. Yeah. <laughs> Retrace your steps. That's interesting. Retrace your steps because... Fill it out. <laughs> Re- reach, retrace your... Retrace your steps to figure out why you got yourself in that mess. It's like, if you're stuck, maybe you took a wrong turn. Uh, or or maybe, you, maybe you missed a signpost or something like that. So that's, that's pretty good discipline. Retrace your steps until the, maybe the last point where you felt confident that you did know what was up and where you were going. Brilliant. I like that. One more. Talk to Jesus. Yeah, I learned that in Sunday school. The answer is always Jesus or pray. When in doubt... Jesus or, or prayer. Have, have, uh, 
have you ever felt uh, stuck or confused in life? Is it just me? Everybody? All right. And in the life of faith, I think that happens fairly often because it's a life of faith. It's not a life of certainty. It's not designed to be a life of certainty. If things were always certain and always secure and always clear, then there would be no room for trust. There would be no leaps of faith. There would only be following the instruction manual. And uh, that's not how life is designed. And if you've been hanging out with Jesus for any length of time at all, you've already figured that out. Uh, But when you feel stuck or confused in life, have you ever felt like God hasn't kept up his end of the deal? Like maybe the reason you're stuck or confused is because God pulled the rug out from under your feet. God blocked you. God opposed what you were doing. You ever feel like that? Yes. I... There's a sermon brewing right there. I I, I feel it. Yes. Yes. For the love of God, yes. Um, maybe, Maybe you've had those experiences where, I mean, you were doing something, you were doing something with your whole heart, and you thought God was in it. I mean, you really thought God was in it. But then apparently he wasn't. And the door slammed in a big way. Maybe it was a relationship. Anybody? Maybe it was a job or a ministry or a move. Anything like that. Man, I could have sworn God wanted me to do this. But now he's just slamming doors. Uh, What's up with that? What do you do in that situation? And and we're doing this sermon series on the life of Paul. And there's this lovely little story right smack in the middle of the book of Acts that I think is about precisely this. It's like you're moving along. You really think God's in it. You're doing your best for the Lord. And then slam. And what do you do uh, then? I've had tons of experiences like that in my my own life. I... I, uh, I talk about uh, this period from my, from my life, uh, I don't know, 20 years ago now, where um, I, I'd been severely depressed, and I was just, I was calling, clawing my way out of depression and, and having some success uh, with that. Uh, I was on an academic career path. I got my PhD. I had done a, a postdoc. I was at Harvard, and, um, and just kind of felt like, well, you know, the Lord had called me into academia. I was going forward, and then some things happened. We don't need to go into all the details, but lots of doors uh, slammed in my face, and I had to, you know, basically I made a decision to walk away uh, from that career. I have, I have uh, in, my, in my memory incredibly vivid photographs and, you know, mental images of, of my last academic meeting and, and uh, walking, walking out of that meeting and walking down this gravel path along the Charles River in, in, in Cambridge near Boston and, and just the sound of the gravel thinking, I have no idea what I'm going to do next. Um, all I know is that God shut down uh, that, that path. From there, I got involved in a business, uh, a software business. I worked so hard in that business uh, for two years and, and change. And, and at one point, you know, uh, though it was not my field, it was, it was a, a software company, a startup. I had worked hard and, and, and you know, kind of saved the company, kind of got it back on its feet by being really inventive and really creative and working hard. And, and then uh, 
the executive above me uh, in the company did some unwise and dastardly things, and things kind of fell apart, and I got, I got uh, fired under false accusations, and it was just a mess. And I thought, man, I could have sworn that that was, that was my way forward. Uh, I found myself, Sonia and I found ourselves in, a, in a, an old uh, fisherman's house in Gloucester, Massachusetts, north of Boston on Cape Ann in the middle of winter, just blisteringly cold. I went on a fast that winter. I just didn't eat for some weeks, just sitting with God, wondering, what in the world uh, is up with my life? You know, every path I can find seems to be a, a dead end. Uh, it was at the end of that season that I got a phone call with an invitation to come back to Hawaii. Um, and, uh, and the rest is blue water history. Um, but... There are a lot of twists and turns from them, but, but I can't convey to you in a short amount of time just how dead-ended I felt and how, how, how puzzled by God, even betrayed by God, when you do the things that he feels like you called, he called you to do. And then still to this day, I said, you know, I don't think I missed, I missed what he told me to do. It's just that he shut doors. And then there's this gap between him shutting doors and me figuring out what to do next. In my life, I feel like there are more gaps than there are, like, clear directions. Anyone else feel that way? Is it just me? Do I just like, am I just like a sucky Christian? Or is is it you too? All right. What I felt during that period of my life was that, you know, it's not like I needed a break. It's like, I just need things to work. I just needed... God to, to prevent bad breaks from happening, you know? I didn't need an open door. I just needed him to stop uh, slamming doors. Uh, and of course, I have a lot of similar stories to tell, you know? I don't understand why this wasn't blessed, I would often say to God. I don't understand why you're not blessing this. I mean, I'm, I'm doing really well right now. I mean, I, I, haven't, I haven't sinned. Uh, I'm being obedient. I don't understand why you're not blessing this. I don't understand uh, why you're not uh, blessing me. And I've been so bold during those periods to say stuff like, "Mm, God shut me down. God opposed me. And Christians often react poorly to me when I say those things because it sounds like I'm insulting God. And sometimes I do get angry with God. Let's face it, I crossed the line. Um... Some Christians say, well, God intended to bless you on that path, uh, but you somehow ruined the blessing. Uh, What did you do to screw it up? That's like the story of the book of Job, uh, if you're interested. Um, His friends and supporters became his accusers, and it got nasty. Uh, Or they say, well, you know, you just need to be more grateful um, because clearly God did bless you. You just missed it. You know, I get all sorts of wisdom like that. But to be honest, I think sometimes God just shuts the door on your face, even though you haven't done anything wrong. And that's the life of faith, because it's not the life of certainty. It's a life of faith. There's supposed to be gaps. Those are the things that you leap across. Shifting gears slightly, sometimes I feel like the only smart thing I have ever done in life is to keep going. You've heard me say that before. Sometimes I feel like my one piece of wisdom 
is that I have never stopped moving in life. I've always kept going. I've always tried different things. If one thing didn't work out, I take a breath, maybe I throw a tantrum, maybe I cry, bang my head against the wall, and then I keep moving. Then I try something different. I get back to to work. I feel like sometimes my life of faith boils down to not stopping. And there's a great deal of life wisdom uh, in that, I think. Uh, Around Blue Water, we talk a lot about the word try. Faith is trying things. Faith is trying things. Um, The life of faith is not about concentrating really hard so that you believe the right things. No. The life of faith is about becoming the sort of person who acts. About coming, becoming the sort of person who tries things on faith. Maybe not on certainty, uh, but on faith. And that's what I think it boils down to. This is a powerful life skill. All right, enough about that. Let's read our story for today. Again, right in the middle of Acts, it comes from Acts chapter 16. I'm reading an excerpt, verses 6 through 15. It's on the back of your program. It'll also be up here on the big board. Uh, So what's happened here, this is Paul's, uh, it's called his second missionary journey. Uh, I read a story from his first missionary journey uh, last week. Uh, On that journey, he passes through some towns uh, in uh, uh, what would be like kind of modern-day Turkey, uh, Lystra and Derby, largely Greek towns, and he makes some disciples there. On a second missionary journey, uh, he revisits some of the places where he has planted churches before. In Lystra, he picks up uh, a young man named Timothy, who will become famous. Famous. He has a couple of epistles written to him in the later New Testament, uh, and he would become uh, a great church planter and, and uh, church father in his own right. Uh, so he's traveling with a different crowd. He's traveling with Timothy. He's traveling with this guy named Silas now, who has replaced Barnabas as Paul's wingman. Silas is, in, uh, is introduced to us as someone who was raised up in the Jerusalem Christian Church, uh, repositioned himself to Antioch, and he was a, a famous prophet in his day. He was a guy really good at listening to the voice of the Lord and sharing some messages. So, so Paul's got a, a pretty powerful posse. And, uh, and he's traveled through some towns that he's visited before. And now they're, they're striking out into deeper Central Asia. They're going deep into what is now Turkey. They're headed kind of toward, kind of toward Afghanistan, if you, if you know your geography. Uh, they're, going in, they're going in deep to the continent. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. You might just underline that. Kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in Asia, which means they could not go to the western side of the landmass. The Holy Spirit prevented their preaching. I don't know what you think the job of the Holy Spirit is, but I would not put on that list, prevent people from preaching. Uh, but the Holy Spirit has prevented them from preaching toward the West. They're in central Turkey, around Galatia, uh, and they're going to go preach this way. And the Holy Spirit says, slam! No, you may not. 
shut down by the Holy Spirit. Uh, when they came to the border of Mysia, they tried entering to enter uh, Bithynia. It's kind of like to the northeast. But the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So you've got the Holy Spirit preventing them going west and the Spirit of Jesus preventing them from going northeast. Some people ask me, well, what's the difference between the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of Jesus? I don't know. It's the only time that phrase, the Spirit of Jesus, is used uh, in this way uh, in the New Testament. I think maybe the author is trying to communicate to you, God just isn't into what they're trying to do. I mean, like, everybody's jumping in. You got the Holy Spirit. You got Jesus. You got, you got the whole Trinity. They are opposed by God in the plans that they are trying to walk out. The Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed to Mysia and went down to Choas. So they go kind of northwest to a coastal city, a port called Choas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. Sail across the sea and enter Greece. Come to Europe. Leave the Middle East and come to Europe. In other words, after Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once uh, to leave from Macedonia. Notice the word we there. Uh, at some point in this trip, Paul has been joined by a guy named Luke. Uh, somewhere around this time, evidently. Luke is the author of the book of Acts. He's the historian of, of uh, the early church. So he's writing. And so Luke switches from they do this, they do that to we. Uh, because now Luke is part of the entourage. So we got ready to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace, and the next day we went on to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of the district of Macedonia, which is like the whole part of northern Greece. And we stayed there in Philippi for several days. Don't get lost in the details, just like appreciate the arc of the story. Then on the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer uh, in cities where Jews had come to live, but in which there was no Jewish synagogue. Uh, Jewish people, uh, by custom, met by the river to pray. They go outside the city and meet by river. That was just a thing. Uh, and so they head out to, uh, to the river to see if there were any praying people of Jewish extraction. Uh, out there in this Roman Greek city. Uh, we sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. They would do their washing by the river. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Theatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God, meaning she was not a believer, but she respected the Jewish custom of the one true God. Unlike Romans who worship many gods and Greeks who worship many gods, she appreciated the story of the one true God. So that's, that's what they called her. They called her a worshiper of God, even though she wasn't technically a believer. But the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. And the rest is history. That right there, the story of Lydia, the very first Christian convert in Europe. And uh, pretty much the history of Christianity would develop uh, from there. So uh, Paul's traveling with Timothy, uh, like I say, with Silas, this real high-powered prophet. Apparently Luke has joined up with them along the way. Um, 
And uh, even though Paul is traveling with a guy who was famous for hearing the voice of God, they keep hearing wrong. They keep hearing wrong. Uh, they, they head into central Turkey. They feel like they should go this way. Slam. They feel like they should go this way. Slam. They are running out of roads to walk down. So they wander uh, northwest to Troas, which is a port city. My thinking is that they were probably going to catch a boat and sail back down the coast to Antioch uh, in Syria, which was their home. They were like, well, man, we can't do anything. Let's just go home. Let's just catch a boat. My feet are tired. They've been walking in circles in the middle of Turkey. There are no holiday inns. There's, there's no place to rest, right? They're, they're tired. They're going to they're gonna catch a ride home uh, as, as best they can. Blocked, blocked, blocked. Trying to do good, but God's not cooperating. That God. You ever get that feeling? And they find themselves in, in Choas, uh, which is a way home, but it also happens to be precisely the right city for grabbing a boat to Europe, to Greece. So quite by accident, accident, they find themselves at the perfect jumping-off point to evangelize Europe. But they had not planned this, right? They had gotten there by defeat. Failure had moved them forward in life. These guys were great at hearing the voice of the Lord. I mean, they were the called of the called, the cream of the crop. But the Lord moves them along by failure and disappointment and fatigue. I just think that's a great story. That's a great story. I love that story. I identify uh, with this story. And, and then Paul has this dream in which he, he sees a Macedonian guy, this guy in, in Greek garb, beckoning them over uh, to Macedonia, over to Greece, uh, saying, you know, please come and help us. Parenthetical statement. Why a dream? Paul's traveling with one of the famous prophets of the age. Paul is perfectly capable of hearing from the Lord. Jesus has spoken to, God, to Paul out of the sky in a bright light. But he has a dream in the night. Very unimpressive way to hear from the Lord. Why a dream, do you suppose? Why does God speak to anyone in dreams when he could send an angel or, or, or give a prophecy, a vision, or something like that? <clears throat> I don't know that I have the answers, but maybe, maybe the Lord did it this way because Paul's conscious mind was too full of thoughts and plans and questions and frustrations. And so... It was only when he peaced out at night, when he turned off the prefrontal cortex a little bit, that he was able to kind of talk story with the spirit. Uh, I say this because uh, those of you who've been on the Holy Spirit retreat uh, have studied this passage in Corinthians where Paul is talking about praying in the spirit. He's talking about praying in tongues and the advantages of praying in tongues as opposed to just praying to God in your normal language. Paul calls it praying in the spirit. He says, sometimes I pray with my mind, but a lot of times I will just pray with my spirit. I will just let the Holy Spirit move through me. I want my mind to be fruitful, but I also want my spirit to be fruitful, Paul says. In other words, Paul fully recognizes that sometimes our brain gets in the way. He didn't put it exactly like that, but he didn't really have the 
physiological, neurological knowledge that we have today. He just broke it up into spirit and mind. He said, you know, guys, I have learned that sometimes my thinking is the problem. And so I have learned to just pray in the spirit, to just commune in the spirit without words, without constructed thoughts, you know, maybe with spiritual words that come from nowhere, but not the words that come from my mind. You know, uh, scientists have done neurological studies of people who pray in tongues, of Christians who pray in tongues. They've hooked up the, the diodes to them and done brain scans while they speak in tongues. And, and surprisingly, what they've discovered is that when a Christian prays in tongues, the speech center of their mind is completely inactive. The language comes from, and they have no explanation of where it comes from. That's just a nice illustration. Just something bubbles from your spirit. Sometimes you've got to shut down the brain. When I was really depressed my years in grad school, one of my personal slogans was, Don't think! And I made a poster and I taped it on the wall. I said, Don't think! Because I knew that sometimes the revelation that I needed uh, was not in the brain. That's a parenthetical statement, but it, I just, I love this story, and I love that, you know, for all of the greatness of these men, Paul had a dream in the night, and it changed the history of the world. That's just fantastic. To be in the Spirit, to be in the Spirit was a phrase that was really common in the early church, and I think this is why. Well, he gets a direction, but it really is not full of instruction. It's not full of promise. It's literally a beckoning. Come help us, a beckoning. Have you ever changed your life on the basis of a beckoning? Hey, go this way. It's a direction. Like, you're pretty sure God wants you to walk in this direction, but you don't know where it's headed exactly or what you're going to do exactly. You just kind of know that, yeah, it's supposed to be over here. Uh, it's, just, it's just a hint of, of a way to go. Uh, but they've got nothing better to do. They have learned that the other doors are slammed shut, and so they accept it without a lot of questioning or doubt. I think that's part of the story, too. Sometimes that's why God closes doors so forcefully and disappointingly. It's so that we're open uh, to the unlikely direction that we had not considered previously. Nothing else to do. Why not? Why not give it a shot? Uh, so, uh, so off they go. That was my experience of, of Sonia and I re, uh, returning to the island a long time ago. It's like, you know, I don't really have another option. And this seems like a true beckoning from the Lord. Uh, let's go. Uh, so they end up in Greece and they knock about for a few days in a couple coastal cities. I say knock about because these guys did not have a credit card. Right? So, like, just physical survival uh, was probably something of an issue for them. And it seems like, well, they just headed toward the biggest city. Lacking any other idea, they just headed toward the biggest city, the Roman colony, Philippi. And once there, they headed for a likely contact spot. Not having any instruction from the Lord, they go to the river, uh, which was a place where they, they could find people praying. Uh, sometimes, particularly women who would gather there to do the wash because there was safety in numbers. Uh, and, uh, and they struck up a conversation. They struck up a conversation. I love this, that the history of Europe hinges on the ability to strike up a conversation. Uh, it is a really vital ministry skill, which is why we do like the five discipleship questions. Uh, Blue Water, you guys, how many people know the five discipleship questions? 
They're great for striking up a conversation. Last time I met with Sage, we went over the five discipleship conversations. Stand up, let me quiz you. There you go. He's, here, he's home from college, so uh, I'm going to put him on the spot. What's the first one? What is God calling you? What has God said to you recently? Good, good. Second one. What are you doing about it? Very nice, very nice, very nice. Third one. Who are, who are you bringing along? Well, that's actually the fourth one, but I will give you credit. What's God saying to you? What are you doing about it? Help them out. What's getting in the way? What's hard about it? You're trying to do something about it. What, what's challenging about it? Then who are you trying to bring along? Number five, how can I help you? Very good, very good. On the basis of your performance, we shall let you return to college. Uh, strikes up a conversation. Uh, there's, this, there's this woman there who's kind of primed. Who is, who is a seeker. She, she kind of loves the idea of the one true God, doesn't know him yet, doesn't know the whole story. Paul explains it to him. Boom, there you go. Uh, and, and literally, uh, the rest is history. There's so much about this story that gives us wisdom about navigating the life of purpose with God. It's where the rubber meets the road. This story is about what it's really like to navigate the life of purpose with God. Lesson number one, Walking the life of purpose with God is often inelegant. That's a nice way to put it. It's messy. There are gaps. There are a lot of false starts. There are a lot of U-turns. There are some zigs and there are some zags. That's the way it is supposed to be. That is not an error. That's how God has designed things. The mess is part of the process. Again, it's a journey of faith. It is not a journey of certainty. It is not a journey of precision. It is not a journey of security. It is a journey of trust. And there has to be some gaps to leap across in a journey of trust. There has to be some mistakes in a kingdom that is marked by forgiveness and grace. That's how it's designed to be. God is intentionally unobvious, even for the great ones. How much more so for the likes of us? And the second lesson is, the proper attitude is not wait and see. The proper attitude is try and see. If this door is closed, you try a different one. If that one is closed, well, then you try a different one. And if only one is open for you, then you try that one. And lo and behold, you often find that by accident, that's where God wanted you all along. It is an elegant process. It's not wait and see. It's try and see. Sometimes I feel like the only smart thing I've ever done in life is that I've kept going. I've kept trying. I've kept bumping into walls until I finally found an opening. And this is a story about that, a great, impactful, world-changing story about precisely that. They didn't wait and see. They didn't shut down. They kept going. They kept going. Try. Keep moving. If you feel stuck, I think the number one thing you can do is keep moving. If you feel confused by God, scandalized by God, disappointed by God, the 
first piece of advice Scripture gives you is, well, keep moving. Keep moving. Sometimes uh, people have a dead end with God. They have a door slammed in their faith. They face, they, they suffer a great disappointment. Maybe it's, maybe it's the death of someone you love. Maybe it's the death of a relationship that you were counting on. Uh, maybe it's an embarrassment. You took a risk on God and it didn't work out and you feel like God let you down. Uh, maybe it's just it's a failure. Um, you failed in life in a big way and you can't figure out why God let that happen. That happens to a lot of people. Some people never recover. Some people stop permanently. I think there are probably some people here today who have suffered a great loss, a death, a failure, an embarrassment, and you've just stopped. You don't even know why you showed up today. Instinct. To give God a chance, maybe. Just get your feet moving again. That's the first step of wisdom, I think. The life of faith is a bump-around sort of life. It's meant to be filled with uncertainties and closed doors. Sometimes God goes out of his way to make it so. I think the life of faith is about keeping one idea in your head above all others. One thing that you have to keep clear in your mind, even if nothing else is clear, and it is this. God is active in your life for good. God is good, and he is at work. Do you know what he's up to? Maybe not. But he's up to something, and he's good. God is active, and he's good. So you need to be active. I am confident of this. God would write to the Philippians, one of the cities in, uh, uh, that uh, he ends up in on this journey. I am confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. I don't know how, I don't know when. This was his lesson to the church that he planted there in that city. I'm confident, though, that God will get it done somehow. Bank on it. And until then, keep at it. Keep at it. Don't be a slave who needs to be ordered about by God. Don't be one of those robots who needs an order in order to move. Instead, be an individual who moves with purpose. And eventually, you'll find your way. That's insanely practical advice. It might even sound unspiritual, uh, but it's life, and it's real. And what I love about Bible stories is they're just filled with gritty reality, just like our lives. And it's in the gritty reality that we find a lot of holiness. Let's invite the Holy Spirit to come minister to us. Wherever we are, whether we are flowing or whether we feel shut down. Let's try and see. Let's try and see. Maybe there's a direction we haven't tried. Holy Spirit, um, as we began uh, the teaching, Lord, we end it. We invite you to come and to minister to us where we need it. Uh, we lift up to you this morning those of us who feel dead-ended, those of us who feel like we have walked smack dab into a slamming door in life, or maybe two, or maybe three, 
maybe a few of them in a row, and we wonder what the heck you're doing. Lord, what are you doing? We know that sometimes when we ask, Lord, what are you doing? All you give is a beckoning or a pointing. (laughs) Try this. Try that. I pray, Lord, uh, for that sort of gracious, gracious interaction this morning. Maybe you want to beckon us somewhere. Maybe you want to invite us to do something uh, that we haven't tried or haven't tried in a while. Speak, Holy Spirit. We're listening. not going to call you out or anything, but who feels like they're hearing a little beckoning from the Lord, a little encouragement to try something? Go ahead and just wiggle your hand at me. That's great. Ultimately, you don't get stuck until you stop moving. Maybe there's someone here today who is a bit like Lydia, who just kind of finds yourself in an accidental interaction. But in that interaction, uh, you've discovered the truth about God. And you just like to invite him in, just like Lydia invited uh, the ministers into her home on that first day in Philippi, first day of the church there. Uh, If you'd like to just invite God into your home uh, for the first time. I'm not going to call you out or anything. Just wiggle your hand at me. I'd like to just say a prayer for you. Fantastic. Beautiful. Just invite him in. Home is often messy, but, you know, he's a God that uses mess. So fantastic. All right, those of you who just raised your hand. Just uh, lift your hearts to God. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would enter in, that you would send your spirit, that you would send the spirit of Jesus into these lives and you would open doors. That you would open a door of faith and that you would uh, bring in the spirit of try. That you would unlock lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.